Are we, uh, are we live? Yeah. Cool. Um, welcome back. Uh, welcome to our new digs. Uh, we, Nia and I are in a small apartment here in, here in Nashville. It's nice to get away from the house. Um, but let's dive right into it. Uh, so jobless claims fell below 1 million uh, for the first time since March. And the stock market kind of was down, what, 20 basis points today on the S&P. Um, yeah, 29 basis points, uh, or 20 basis points to, uh, 33.73. And, um, you know, that's, we're kind of still hanging around all time, or I guess, uh, since COVID highs, which is, you know, I think we've been here for a while. We've been making sort of since COVID highs for a while now. Um, and, you know, I think, the headline numbers really only measure, uh, for jobless claims specifically, only measure the number of claimants for normal state unemployment benefits. So it's a little bit overstated how good that number is. You have to remember that there's a pandemic emergency unemployment compensation program called uh, PEUC, um, which it doesn't count. And there's a lot of people on that. But generally, the jobless claims are getting much better. And, uh, you know, there still is not... Uh, consensus in Congress, in the U.S. Congress, uh, I know we have international watchers around, um, about continuing the stimulus checks and continuing kind of the 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 income support for everyone. So um, we'll see where that goes, right? So I think that to me um, is kind of a, a big risk on the horizon if uh, Congress can't get on the same page with stimulus uh, and that all runs runs out and you have a bunch of folks that don't have jobs. They haven't been looking for jobs. They've been getting these like extra enhanced benefits and they find themselves uh, jobless with no, with no stimulus or no, no like jobs income support. Then I think consumer demand uh, kind of dries up as well. And some of the e-commerce that has have been, that's been kind of supporting a bunch of, um, a bunch of these companies and corporate earnings might dry up as well. So that's kind of one thing on the, that on the horizon that could be a negative uh, headwind for the stock market. I think on the other hand, um, you know, we continue to be in an environment where uh, money supply is increasing. We're printing money. Uh, one thing that I'm increasingly, increasingly worried about is the value of our dollar. Uh, and, you know, inflation and inflation can rear its ugly head in a lot of different ways. It can be, you know, inflation of goods and services, like on a kind of basic level, or it can really be kind of financial asset inflation. Um, you know, I think that those are kind of two opposing forces in terms of, uh, am I long equities and financial assets and risk on assets, or am I on risk off assets and cash? Right. So, um, I'll, I'll take this moment to, uh, to announce, and I'll announce it on my Instagram, that finally rolled out uh, what I'm calling for now, the ROIC big board. So for the, those of you that are ROIC mem members, go on the website. We actually have a new page that has a little pie chart of my target asset allocations. And then 
where I'm going to build out a list of stocks that I really like, stocks that are in the waiting, uh, that I think are good companies, just overpriced, uh, <clears throat> Tesla, and uh, stocks I hate. So there's that, and then you know, real estate stuff, and like I'll just that's going to be the big board. You know, I guess you know I copied Mel Kiper's big board name, but we'll we'll come up with a better name for it. I don't know. Suggestions uh, needed. Um, yeah. So I guess like when I'm thinking about it, and again, I'll you guys have full access on the website, and you can go check it out. But I'll talk about it a little bit here. It's like you know, I'm about the target allocation really is like 55% equities. Uh, and I do think equities themselves and strong kind of, uh, strong growth stocks in companies that are well capitalized and have a lot of like, uh, advantages and will compound capital in the future. That's itself a, a hedge against inflation. Right. But I am looking at this near term risk. If, these enhanced benefits go out or kind of stop and consumer spending stops, then obviously stock market is not going to do well because earnings will go down. But, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see, right? So if consumer spending goes down, so we'll add dollars when, when we know like Facebook and Google make a lot of money on ad dollars or e-commerce companies make a bunch of money on, on right? Shopify, <clears throat> overpriced. Uh, Shopify is going to hurt in a, in a, a scenario where consumer spending goes down. So, but I will say, right, there's also this other thing where I don't want to be holding too much cash. Well, you know, I think I have a good, healthy allocation in cash just in case. Uh, but I don't want to be holding too much cash because, um, because, you know, you're putting yourself at risk of inflation. And you all know that I have my thoughts about keeping at least like 10% in, in some anti-inflationary non-equities type of uh, allocation, which might be like gold or Bitcoin. I'm a big Bitcoin fan. Um, and what else? Yeah, and then I, I do, obviously you all know I have an <clears throat> extremely healthy <clears throat> allocation to real estate. And you know uh, that leads me into uh, telling you about Fundrise, right? And fund partnering with Fundrise as a rogue community. I, I think if you don't want to go through the hassle of owning your own rental real estate, like I do, right? Like it's a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, Fundrise really offers you great allocation to private real estate um, across the smile states, across healthy markets that I think are, are really good um, with a dedicated kind of private equity team behind them offering, you know, at least historically, it looks like they've offered really great returns, like 8 to 12%. Um, again, not a sale of security. My opinion is not advice. Past performance does not indicate future results. But definitely go check out that pie chart. And I've already kind of given you some of the headline numbers. And, you know, for those of you that tune in, you know, the ca capital compounders that keep pounding the table over. It's like Amazon, Microsoft, all these companies. Um, but I do think that we are kind of in this uh, opposing force where inflation is really scary and you don't want to be holding too much cash. Um, but you also don't want to be, uh, all equities and fully allocated in case, you know, we are running off a cliff with some of these policies and the running out of, um, enhanced benefits and consumer spending. Um, a couple other things I read in the, Oh, I feel like I'm off frame here. Yeah, I was gonna, can you speak over this way. To the right, okay. 
This is the first time we are doing this setup. Hopefully you like you like it. Um, okay, cool, cool. So a couple other things I read today were um, the value gap between rates and other asset classes remain pretty wide. Risk on assets are holding up. This is all from institutional research reports. Um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, and so you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, I guess to sum sum it up, I think the research reports that I'm reading is that there still is some juice to risk on assets to go up in the short term. And, uh, you know, there's some opinions about being short the U S 10 year, uh, which is just interesting. I'm not a fixed income trader, so I'm not going to dive too deeply into that. Um, and again, liquidity is everywhere, but how is the real economy? Um, I don't know. It seems unhealthy and I, I don't think, I think we're kind of stuck in this making new highs in relation to everything else in equities uh, for the near future, unless things really crumble and corporate earnings really crumble. Um, another way I'd also posit this run up in equities is I wonder how much equities have risen or is it how much has the U.S. dollar's purchasing power denoted in U.S. equities fallen, right? So, right, I mean, they're kind of two sides of the same coin, right? I mean, you're saying the same thing, but what really is the, the overlying story? Is, that corp is it that corporates are that much more attractive to own? Or is it that dollars are so much less attractive to own? And so that's why if you, if you see that pie chart, like target allocations like 50 to 55% equities, I like that right now. Um, I like cash for how quick you can purchase equities if we see kind of a correction in the market. But I also don't want to hold too much in cash because, you know, you're kind of losing money every day if we keep printing money. So that's why I like, that's why I really like real estate. It's kind of the best of both worlds. You get great kind of, uh, you get a great dividend or cash flow yield. You get great price appreciation, uh, which in turn is a anti-inflationary asset that you're holding. The problem with real estate is that it's not super liquid, right? And that's why I really have, I, I like owning 10% in whatever Bitcoin or gold because that gives me some flex to my overall portfolio asset allocation um, to convert those liquid assets, whether it be GLD. I mean, most of us are not owning gold bullion, right? It's just really hard. We're going to store it. Um, but if you own some GLD or IAU or some of these ETFs or maybe some of the gold miners, um, that's what, anyway, so that's what um, go definitely go check it out if you're a Relic member. Um, it, you know, I'm, I'm a little proud. I was like kind of tinkering with the, uh, the website, but that that's kind of my market update. Uh, there's a lot other going on. I think we should talk about Tesla's stock split. Um, guys, like, again, I know we are in unprecedented territory and that some of the things that I learned in finance 101 are being like some of the fundamental concepts are being tested now and you know we're not in this we're in this artificial market uh we're not really in this free market where things are allowed to die um but like let's go back to tesla's stock split nothing changes about the valuation 
It just allows people who can't afford one $1,500 share to buy Tesla stock. Now, do I think that that in and of itself is a, uh, a reason to buy Tesla stock? The answer is no. Um, I don't think that the folks out there that can't afford one Tesla share have enough money to like collectively, like we all know how wide the, the wealth gap is in America and in the world, right? Um, the people that can't afford one share of Tesla and now can afford one share of Tesla by splitting, you know, whatever, four or five to one, it's, it's not going to move, um, you know, a stock where like, what's their latest market cap? Let me look it up. It's not going to move a stock with a $300 billion market cap, right? Um, but will it allow some of the younger folks that don't have enough money that are students to buy in, uh, feel great about Tesla and over the next decade as they earn more money, as they get out of school and they like progress in their career and progress in how much productivity they can make in their skill set to buy a Tesla? Yes. Cause it makes them feel connected with this innovative company. So I like it. Do I think it's a catalyst for the stock not necessarily and the answer is no if anything to me the catalyst for the stock is like if you're going to reach for straws about things that don't actually change the business and and how it should be valued um what you should probably keep your eye on more is the s p 500 inclusion because institutional capital is really the capital that drives movements um those are the big orders those are the big holders uh so I would keep my eye on that. But again, if you're if you're someone who can't afford a $1600 Tesla stock and you want to buy and you can buy it now, like it's it's fine, right? It's great. Um I think a lot of this stock specifically moves on hype and there are institutional level fanboys, I would say. Um I just personally don't like buying in at 7.6 times forward earnings or for forward sales, mind you, for a Largely hardware uh, manufacturer and vertically integrated, albeit. Um, I like the like. I like Tesla. You all know that. I love Tesla, and I do think that there's something like maybe ten years in the future where um, I've seen I've heard this analogy before about how oh what Apple turned your phone into a computer, Tesla's turning your your uh, your car into a computer and we're all, we're all going to be driving around cars, uh, that have app stores and all that stuff. Right. I don't know. I think that's a, that's some lip service and some, you know, wishful thinking. I mean, I don't really think that downloading angry birds on my, my like Tesla is as game changing as being able to, uh, download angry birds on here. But, you know, I do think autonomous driver network can arrive in a decade or two and it'll be worth a lot. Um, I would wait until maybe four times forward sales or four and a half. Um, and that, that either can happen, right, by the stock price going down, but it doesn't need to go down. It could just hover around these levels until fundamentals catch up. And that's all I'm saying, right? That's all I'm saying. So, like, the expectations are high. 
um, and they're at peak height. The expectations for Tesla every single quarter to, to live, deliver from here on out is the highest it's ever been. And I've, I've owned the stock longer than probably a lot of you knew that they even had stock, right? Um, you know, it's, it's that classic saying, don't follow the herd. Uh, you know, when others are greedy, be free, be fearful. When others are fearful, be greedy, right? It's like, I, I don't think that this is a bubble per se, because a lot of other companies are trading at more asinine valuations than Tesla. Um, but you know, that's, that's that. And I'm doing a lot of work on some stocks. Uh, haven't been able to, to get really to any write-ups or long YouTube videos this week. So forgive me. Um, but again, going to spend this weekend, kind of work through the weekend and catch up on a lot of stuff. So thank you so much for being here with me. Uh, like, you know, every single week we, we run a hundred dollar raffle and then two $30 raffles or giveaways. Uh, the $30 giveaways are done in real time right now. We pick them, we pick them. Uh, and all you gotta do is enter through the link below, uh, the hundred dollar raffles. If you're watching after the fact, you can enter anytime the week after this, this video, and then we pick it kind of the next show. So we're going to pick our first, well, I already picked it before the show started, but I'm, I picked the winner from last week and hopefully you're on it's Calvin C from Canada. So congrats. I'll be Venmoing you or PayPaling you probably a hundred bucks before we're done. So that's cool. That's cool. Um, so, okay. I see a lot of questions, lots going on. Robinhood's no longer sharing their, uh, their popularity data with like sites like Robin track. Okay. I didn't really care anyway. I don't, I don't really follow the, the herd there. So if you guys want to follow the herd, go follow the herd. But you know, we're here, we are rooted in fundamentals and infinitely curious about how things progress in the world around us. You all know that I am a general, generally forward thinking individual. I have a training in kind of the, the like fundamental old school art of value investing, but innately hyper interested in transformationally innovative things. Um, so I've been interested in Tesla for so long, right? I probably own like, right. I mean, I, I really love the tech companies at reasonable valuations. If I believe in that company and I believe in their moat, I believe in their growth opportunity. Um, cool. I'm going to be doing some content around Activision Blizzard pretty soon here, probably maybe tomorrow over, over, or over the weekend. Really interesting. I'm a big call of duty, modern warfare player. It's something I do at home. I'll probably go play some tonight after I get off of here. Um, it's just something I do to de-stress and it's wildly popular. They have over a hundred million, I believe a over a hundred million war zone, call of duty war zone players. And you know, does that give them an optimal loadout? So for you to buy the stock, maybe, maybe not. I'll tell you in the next week, probably if I can get to it. Um, cool. So cool. Let's, uh, I have a couple questions from, from some Rolex members on here. Maxer Technologies. I took a quick look from Jacob B. Thank you for the question. 
he asked us a couple days ago on in the Roic forum. Um, he had 10 shares around 18 bucks, thinking about buying more early 20s, so holding it for years. Uh, kind of looking at the stock, it's kind of a weird one. I don't know much about it. Maxar, ticker M-A-X-R. Um, they are a so they provide solutions in earth intelligence and space infrastructure. Um, and in my perception is that they win contracts and their growth doesn't look like it's expected to be anything special. But then again, they've sold off a ton and now they're kind of rebounding just a, s- a slight amount. And they're trading at like eight and a half times, nine to, eight and a half to nine times forward EBITDA, which is a reasonable multiple, but it's also a company that doesn't, isn't expected to grow a bunch. So if you're going to hold it for years and it's like an aerospace and defense company, um, just, I think you need to understand that these contracts, like it'll drop if they lose some contracts, it'll rally if they win some big contracts. Do you think that Maxer, whatever they do in earth intelligence and space infrastructure sounds really, really vague, uh, lots of satellite stuff. Do you think that they're going to be the net winner over the next decade or two? Is, are they, for some reason, are they going to beat out all the other satellite providers that whatever they're providing? So that's a question, you know, for you. Um, Pablo on Roic is asking, Cisco's down over 10% today on less weaker outlook. Uh, what are my thoughts long term? Cisco's always been one for me. Let me pull, I pulled up a little article. Um, one for me. It's been like, it's such an old stodgy tech company. Uh, they, they've they seen a, a fi- like generally a revenue drop of like 5% for fiscal year 2020 and they blame it on COVID. Um, and we, but they also say that, you know, we also saw that over 50% of the revenues came from software and services, but the other half was kind of a crappier t- side of the business. Um, it's probably not something I would touch because... Like they are trading at nine times forward EBITDA, but not really growing. They're not really growing. Um, so it's not, it's just boring to me. It's not, I don't think that you're going to find that Cisco is a a story where you're investing behind this rocket ship and you just, and when I say rocket ship, it's a capital compounding growth monster at a reasonable price. You're finding almost a value stock in relation to all other tech. And it's more of a turnaround story, right? Yeah, nine times forward EBITDA is not super cheap, but they're a tech company and they have a lot of software and services. And software should be trading at higher than that, especially on a comparable basis. But what what we know is that they are stodgy, old school. It's gonna take a lot for them to really like shore up their business and get back to kind of software as a service, which is what they're kind of, they came out and said. So I don't have a view nor do I ever think I will ever have a view on whether or not they can pull off the transition to largely software as a service and stuff like that, tech as a service. So I'd probably it's probably a skip for me, honestly. But I mean, I wouldn't call you crazy for owning it. I just don't think it's the optimal return profile. Um, cool, cool. Um, awesome. Cool. Uh, oh, so, you know, obviously new digs, new everything, new lighting. It got dark. It was actually light out here when we started. Um, I guess it looks okay. Does it look okay? Um, 
But I, I need to say this, and I can't say this enough. Uh, happily brought to you by Fundrise. Seriously, uh, I, you'll see it on my Roic big board. Uh, you know, I own a bunch of real estate with some friends down here in Nashville, which is one of, like I'm one of my most bullish markets, or one of the kind of U.S. markets that I'm most bullish about. But again, if you don't want to, if you can't divert and buy or dedicate and buy full properties and rent them out and then get like, and do the math and use my, like use my real estate investing model. I think it's like one of the best options out there to get that exposure to real estate without having to do the work and kind of sleeping tight, knowing that there is a private equity style fund, like team out there investing for you. It's well diversified across kind of the generally the smile states in the United States. And you know, I love real estate. I love real estate. Arguably, I may love real estate a hair less than corporate equities. I, lo I love it. Well, then again, you all know, my whole thing is finding the ROI and everything, right? You know, I, half of my Peloton video is about the ROI, my ROI and buying Peloton. Um, I, right, I think that real estate's a great place to hide. The problem with it is liquidity. So if you see a sell-off in the market, and you're owning real estate, it's kind of hard to liquidate any of that money unless you have some like uh, home equity line of credit or not. So, um, cool. Um, how you doing tonight, Nia? Great. I was actually just telling, I was just commenting because everyone's like, you look so tan. I was about to be like, yes, you got a haircut. And yes, we went to the lake last weekend. We did go to the friends. lake. We did go to the lake. Also, how I feel like I just tried to mess with the settings on this mic to curb echo. So yeah, you guys let us know if you're still hearing know. the echo. I might just be too close. Okay. Um, Den is saying Peloton and Spotify down. Look, you guys are looking at your stocks too much. I Den, thank you so much for being here. I'm imagining you bought Peloton at. Yeah, no echo. Awesome. So did you buy Peloton at 70, which was what? Like a week ago, 10 days ago? Where did you buy it at? To me, you got that was like that was all-time high. You bought at all-time high and it it took a break and we're at a break. But me for me on a growth stock, a high beta stock, it doesn't matter if it goes from 70 to 65. It doesn't even if you believe in the fundamentals and if it's if it's on my ROIC Roic big board. I am monitoring it. And the whole thing is Warren Buffett had a great quote this last, uh, you know, and I think I reposted it. This feels like forever ago during the last Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting. And he's like, you own a farm, right? And you bought a farm and you believe in the farm and you bought the farm because it's fertile land. You know how much you can get, you know, you, I mean, I'm not a farmer, so forgive the analogy, but he used this analogy. He said, when you buy a stock and you buy a company, you're buying the farm because you know it spits off an amount of cash flow and you really like how much you bought it for in relationship to the, the cash it produces, right? And, but with the stock market, you bought that farm and you have a neighbor out here, which is the market, 
quoting at you every day and saying, hey, I'll buy your farm from you for for a hundred, for, I don't know, a million. I'll buy your farm from you for 1.5. Every day he's quoting you, asking you to sell your farm to him. And some days he's like drunk and he's like, I'll buy it for 2 million. And, and you're, and if, if he quotes and if you want to sell, you can sell, but some days he's really depressed and he's really like scared and he's like, I'll buy it for like half a million and you don't need to sell. The only time you sell is when you want to sell because you believe in the company you own. And what I'm telling you is uh, when you meet people out there, when you meet professionals in the industry, right? They, they call themselves equity research analysts and what is their trade? It's corporate finance. It's corporate finance. It's not stock market chart chartist i have never met anybody on wall street with the title stock or market chartist or you know like market timer right the whole point of it is to understand the business i study businesses right Equity research analysts study businesses in relationship to their valuation. And they opine about what would be a reasonable price for the farm that you're buying. Um, so what I'm telling you is I believe in Spotify and Peloton as the growth portions, and I've categorized them in the ROIC big board. So go check that out um, under a certain segment. I categorize those two things as I believe these companies will continue to grow and put up great numbers over time. Some numbers might be better than others. Some they might miss, right? Uh, we saw that Daniel Eck came out and said stuff about, you know, about like musicians and the stock dropped and all that stuff, right? So it's like, like just kind of ignore that. As long as you believe that they're going to continue to put up numbers, I guarantee you no company that is growing will trade at like five times, like growing healthily with positive margins will ever trade at like four times EBITDA, okay? So fundamentals, you have to believe in the fundamentals and then Mr. Market's gonna quote things that you compared to him, but all you gotta do is believe in the fundamentals and stop looking at it, stop looking at it. If I believe that a stock's fundamentals have changed, right? Meaning if Amazon and Apple come out and start dominating two quarters straight on stealing users from Spotify. Then I think it's like, okay, well, how does that affect the valuation? What's the probability weighting of Spotify's growth getting cut in half? And if it does, what's, you know, what's, what's the fair valuation? It's all about fundamentals. Um, everything else is just short-term hair pulling. Uh, so that's that. Cool. And so also no one here is getting rich buying Tesla right before a stock split, even if it does go up 5%. I mean, how much money can any, any, any of us put into Tesla right now? And if we time it right, we feel good. And it's like, yeah, man, I'm so good. I, I timed the market. It was up 20% and I timed it. But like at the end of the day, your thousand bucks just went to 1200. Congrats. Like it didn't really matter too much. Um, you want to own a piece of a business 
that takes that fundamental profit, economic profit, reinvests it, compounds it for you. And then guess what? You just sleep for five years and you wake up and then you're richer. You're a lot richer, not 20% richer. Um, King Kang asking about where do I find my price to EBITDA metric so quickly? I use Centio. Centio. Yeah, and then so Joy and Dan saying about options, options, options. You still have to be right on the stock movement. Options are super risky. And all options are is a way to leverage a short-term view. And the only time I've ever done it is super long-dated options if I have a sub-one-year view of a catalyst. Um, but, you know, do not, do not confuse leverage with fundamentals because Google could 5x your return on Google stock, al Alphabet stock, by just borrowing money on the corporation and spitting it out. But then again, that's not a great long-term business decision. What you're doing is you're just artificially with options or margin or whatever, you're just artificially juicing your returns, right? But if the stock goes down, then, I mean, like, you're going to lose regardless. You're just losing worse. Um, cool. Awesome. Welcome back. We have one voicemail question. Guys, remember the voicemail. Guys, and also, looking to fundraise. They're awesome. They're really cool people over there. And um, a lot of their investment team came from Wall Street. It's, it's pretty cool. So um, what else? We have a voicemail. Let's do the voicemail. I think you'll find this interesting. Um, I'd like to know, uh, I've been investing uh, since March. I have never invested before, and I've been picking stocks, and I've been having fun with it. At the same time, I do have a full-time job running a business, and I don't have enough time to do deep uh, analysis and research on every stock that I choose. I have, uh, I think I'm pretty well diversified uh, into a mix of, mid-cap, small-cap, large-cap, international versus U.S. Um, but my question is, I am at a total of 38 stocks, different stocks, different companies. And i like to know, what is your opinion on how much should an investor that can only really spend a few hours <clears throat> researching a specific company? Um, it doesn't have a, a, a whole day to search every company, but how much, how much should... It'd be like, I still want to invest in a few other companies, but I'm at 38 different companies right now. So I'm just wondering how much is too much, or I was thinking about maybe going to 45 or stopping at 40 and then just rotate the companies that I own into buying new ones. Um, and I'm trying to hold them, trying not to sell anything for at least a year. Um, so I'd like to see your opinion on that, on how many companies, uh, different stocks is, Awesome. Thank you so much for the question. So if I kind of summarize the question, it was very much, uh, you know, I only have a, a couple hours a day to dedicate to stocks. Um, I'm having fun with it, want to hold long term. Uh, but how do I find good stocks uh, without a ton of time? So 
to answer that question, it's be a part of this community, you know, support the content on Roic, and then you can kind of find stocks that you like thematically. You're like, I believe that sports betting is going to be a thing, right? Or I believe that satellite growth is going to be a thing. I don't know. I know probably you probably know those trends better than I do or not really, but you might, right? If you're, if you're like an expert in some trend that I've never heard of, like, or like, you know, certain stocks, then, then your guess sometimes is as good as mine. But I can at least tell you if you believe in that growth, if you truly believe in that growth, this is the stock to buy. Yes or no. Is it overpriced or underpriced? Um, secondly, I know you didn't ask this, but Bro, you got too many stocks. 38 stocks. The Dow Jones has 30. It's a lot of stocks. So if you're having fun with it, that's awesome. Uh, I'm telling you, like, you're almost recreating an ETF. Uh, so at a certain point when you diversify so much, you're almost like kind of, uh, you are removing the, the whole point of managing your own portfolio. If you're gonna have over, honestly, in my opinion, if you're gonna have over 15 in your portfolio, then start thinking about bundling a few of them up into and then trading them for an ETF that diversifies for you or a mutual fund you really think, you you're, you really respect, right? Um, there are people full-time managing mutual funds that have 40 stocks. Or even less, right? I've been at hedge funds and I, you know, managing, you know, nine figure portfolios with less than 15 to 20. Uh, because once you get past that, you're almost like not even, it's like not worth it, right? You might as well just buy an ETF of a trend that you really like or ARC or whatever, like right, the innovation one or a value one or whatever. So, I would just say, if you want to go from 38 stocks to 45, I hope your spread is that you have like five core ones and everything else is just fun. And if, it, if they're just fun, they've got to be small and think of them like going to the casino and then you can buy and sell them just for fun because there's no sports betting and or there's no casino stuff. So, but like, I can't keep track of 38 stocks. I have a full-time job too. Well, because then he said he was going to start rotating them when he got to 40. So that's even like... What? Like, how do you have the time for that if you're already running yeah, so the company? So I think you're you're finding it's it's hard to keep track of them. You can't you can barely like read the news about 15 stocks every day. I mean, right? Reading the news about Tesla alone takes me like five hours a week, right? I mean, like, I would just say, one, stay with us. Let me know. Ask the Roic community uh, to. Uh, Look at a stock if you have a question, if you like, but, but start top down as an individual investor, start top down, be like, I like that trend. I think that's going to happen. Um, and if you think it's going to happen and it happens, I can tell you is now the right buy-in point or is, is now not cool. So there is, um, Spencer H on YouTube. Uh, so I'm actually, this is the first time I haven't done TikTok, and it's already helping me. It's like one less screen to, oh, cool. So I wanted Spencer H asking about NVIDIA. So NVIDIA, let me, let me tell you about NVIDIA. I like NVIDIA too. I like gaming cards. I like GPUs. 
I like their possible inclusion in or involvement in neural net AI machine learning. I like all that. I like all that. But they're seeing an average of high teens forward growth top line and 40% EBITDA growth. And they are trading at 15 times forward sales and 37 times, 30 to 37 times forward EBITDA. That's insane. I would rather you buy Tesla, TBH. Go buy Tesla instead of NVIDIA. I'm saying I'm not buying Tesla now, but if, you, if you're gonna buy NVIDIA, you might as well buy Tesla. So because I'm gonna, let's compare it against Tesla. Financials, let's see. Okay, uh, Okay. so Tesla is growing at, okay, so mid-teens EBITDA growth, so it's like double, a little over two and a half times the EBITDA, and they're trading at 45 times forward, 36 times forward, 36 times forward. Okay, interesting. Okay, I kind of take back the Tesla comment. I think NVIDIA is expected to see, let's see. You know what? No, I, I stand by my comment. I would rather you buy Tesla than Nvidia. I'd rather you buy Tesla than Nvidia. I think they would have comparable or better EBITDA growth, so cash flow growth, at a similar or lower price, and you get, um, you get a hot stock. That's pretty fun to own. It's fun to own, right? It's fun to own. Um, but again, I'm kind of staying away. Those two are a little over, they're overpriced. They're overpriced to me. So staying away from them. I'd come come to the Rogue portal, come to the Rogue big board. They're better growth stocks. We are not in the business of finding the efficient frontier, which for those of you that haven't taken Finance 101, it's that's the optimal mix of like diversification and returns. Um, because we're personal investors, right? We're personal investors. I, we are not managing an academic fund. Um, cool. Let's see. Jose is saying Mir versus Peloton. So Mir just got bought out. So Mir, for those of you that don't know, I mean, have you seen the Mir commercials? Yeah, they're everywhere. I think what, they're kind you, of weird. Like no. you, you mount it to your wall? It, well, it's way too expensive. At that point, you might as well... I don't know. I just go get a trainer then or just. Oh, Lululemon bought them. There's just so much out there. Like, it sounds like a good idea. Like you buy the bike, right? And then you never get on it. It's like, you're going to put the mirror up and you're never going to use it. It's just like, it just seems like I an just, odd concept It's also, it's odd me. because it's like, it's basically a cool TV yeah. that has resistance, like bands. It's like a Bowflex mixed with a TV. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really like it. Lululemon, I mean, sure, but I, I don't, I don't like Mir. I think Peloton's better. Um, yeah, and for those of you that want to try out um, ROI Connect at a couplecents.com and to all the exclusive content. Also, by the way, the intern program is going really great. We're gonna get a lot more stock pitches for you guys. Um, so that's coming. It's coming over the, like, you know, it'll come as they come. And we had our first session and I'm going to, I'm going to delist the video, uh, 
but for Roke members will get access to like the internship program that I'm like coaching them, like how to create industry comps, how to like next one is going to be an Excel shortcut one on Monday. So we'll record that. I'll post that. And you know, it's, it's, it's super rough, right? It's just me here for an hour and a half teaching, um, the group how to do Excel shortcuts and all that stuff. But if you guys want to get better in just your analysis, like that's another feature in ROI connect. But if you want a trial, uh, the, the free coupon for a free month, uh, the coupon code for a free month is finance family, all undercase, all one word, finance family. Um, also, do you remember what keyword tonight? Oh, I haven't done a keyword. Thank you so much for tuning in. The keyword tonight for the $100 raffle for next week, I haven't come up with one. Uh, okay, let's keep it easy. EBITDA. Boom. EBITDA. EBITDA. It's my favorite fun word. EBITDA. Of, of investing. Uh, how are we doing the, on those uh, EBITDA hats? I mean, we have them mocked up. We just have to approve and buy. You got to send Danica the first one for oh, free. Oh, 100%. Because she, she, she might have been the one to say it, right? That's and so she, funny. She deserves it. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we're trying to figure out how to do all that. This is this is just um, are they voicemails? Okay, let's do it. Cool beans. Hey, I just wanted to ask about Fundrise. Uh, I've been interested and looked into it a little myself. Um, I'd like to hear what you have to say about Graham Stephan's review video on it, going into deep detail and fees and about why someone made this in the first place, because I have some confliction between, you know, are, what, what does it balance out to after the fees and how realistic is it? Um, and if you could review that, I think that would help me make a better decision. Um, thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'll be happy to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. So I believe their historical returns after fees are like eight to 12%. Um, let me pull it up for you. Actually. First of all, I respect Graham Stephan quite a bit. I think he, he has a lot of great content. He's obviously in a really great YouTuber. He is five obviously like a million times better of a YouTuber than I am. <laughs> um, he's good. He's really good. Uh, and he's a real estate guy. He's like a realtor, right? That's, that's his like thing. Um, you know, his knowledge on like complex investing concepts. I, I don't know. Um, but let's look at the fees. Uh, so they, they do, 15 basis points of advisory fees, uh, which is lower than Vanguard's 30 basis points. Um, is that it? Uh, oh, no. And then they have an 85 basis point flat management fee. Okay. So all in fees from Fundrise are about 1%. That is better than a lot of mutual funds out there. Um, I would, I would almost, 
I would almost ask you, if you bought private real estate, how much do you think you'd pay me to manage your, your, your properties? I'm gonna tell you, it's a lot more than 1%. Uh, so I think like, I wouldn't focus on fees if they're full on fully loaded fees are 1% annually and they're not taking carry obviously. So, um, like I wouldn't worry about that. They're basically being a private e REIT. Um, so I, and when you compare it against almost all the other opportunity costs, then it's like either comparable or better. I also really like their, t their investment team. Um, and I like their investment strategy and I like how easy it is. And again, like, I think if, if you have 500 bucks, I like the minimums. I don't know how they did that legally, but I like the, the minimums. You could just do 500 bucks in there. Um, you know, and I like the locked up capital. I like, uh, let's, let's go historical performance right here. Post fees, net of fees, right? So average annualized returns, net of fees to that from 14 to 19 in order from Fundrise. 12.25%, 12 12.42%, 8.76%, 11.44%, 9.11%, 9.47%. I guarantee you, like just personally, I we me and my friends own and trust me, I will guarantee you I do more financial modeling on my on my real estate purchases than Graham does. Um, just because that's I'm a nerd for that. And he probably gets great returns too. But if you go invest in like LA Prime. You're not getting those returns. So I just really, really like, I mean, I, I don't think that, I mean, okay, so here's another another fact, like buying Fundrise, you're buying in what they're saying, current annualized dividend yield. Everyone, like some people are really interested in dividend yield. Uh, you know, public real estate, like the Vanguard real estate ETF, it's like 3% on dividend yield and Fundrise is like 5%. It's because it's private. Um, I, I, you know, it's kind of interesting because if it was a public thing, they could probably get higher valuations and stuff like that. And it's kind of deeper concepts about yield and yield spread. But yeah, I would just say if you're putting up historically last six years does not indicate future performance, obviously, you know, just for me, if, if you're putting up nine to 13% returns annually, um, net of fees, that's after fees. I don't think you can go repl replicate that with how easy it is to just put in 500 to a thousand bucks. And that's why it's the only one I've ever like considered partnering with. Right. Um, and I've, I liked Fundrise and tried out Fundrise before they were even the current form. I, they started out doing like individual deals, which is really cool, but obviously kind of too complex for your average market. Um, that said, like Graham's probably coming from a side that's more like my side. We've seen 25, 30% plus returns on our portfolio on probably 15 million in assets. That's, we've killed it. We have tripled the returns that Fundrise have seen. But guess what? I spent about 500, maybe 5,000 times more brain damage and time and energy and and my free time getting those returns for me and my friends than it is to just be like sign up thousand dollars it's pretty cool to, to to like mentally be like oh they've seen these types of returns and fees before so again I don't I haven't seen Graham Stephan's videos I don't have enough time to to juggle a CFO job and 
um, do this stuff. And so my YouTube consumption's actually gone down. Uh, I like Graham Stephan. You know, I think he's generally a level-headed guy, very frugal. He's probably like your younger Dave Ramsey. Um, and I'm sure he's seen better returns than out of fees because he has no fees on his real estate portfolio. But if he's going to, like, I don't think you can make the case that I would rather buy a public market REIT over Fundrise. I don't think I would, like, just personally, right? And I, I can, if I, yeah. And so, I, I mean, we've talked about that for a lot. So, and again, I, I am a no bullshit person because, like, <laughs> Nia knows, like, this is all time and energy and money for me to just even keep doing this content. So like if, if, if at kind of like any of these companies, if at a future date I ever thought Fundrise wasn't the best option to go with like real estate without having to manage your own, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Justin's not a sellout guys. Don't worry. <laughs> you wouldn't have picked something unless he liked it. We have so many voicemails. I love it. Oh, so many voicemails. Cool. We really do. Let's do it. Let's. Yeah, John, I agree with the tax benefits about real estate, which I don't think you get with Fundrise. Um, but again, it's like part of the hassle. Like think about all the accounting and tax return work that we have to do every year. It's like, oh. Raider, it's okay. Better late than never. Okay. Hey, Justin. I uh, appreciate everything that you do. Uh, I was just calling because um, I've been talking, uh, I've been interested in Amazon, and uh, it seems like the the hothead is doing uh, stock splits, and I was wondering if you think that Amazon would do a stock split anytime soon, um, and just kind of thoughts of where it's going forward, because it seems like it's just in a sideways trend right now. But I uh, appreciate everything, and thank you. Thanks so much for the question, and I don't think that old Bezos is doing a stock split anytime soon, but I could be wrong, right? Last I heard, last I heard, the information that I have been operating off of is that Bezos is a Wall Street guy, and he's like, he's this like unique individual. He believes that a higher stock price weeds out all the fly-by-night shareholders, which reduces the volatility of the stock. I don't think that, I don't know if he actually believes that because it's kind of the inverse of like, does a stock split help the stock? It's like, does a higher price weed out volatility? Probably not. But you know what weeds out volatility when you're a $1.5 trillion company? Um, so I don't think so. If he, I mean, he, he, was a, he was a Wall Street guy. I think he took the same finance classes when he was 21. Like I don't, we, the stock split is there for PR. It's really not there for real valuation. I don't think he's going to do that. So, but that's just me. Like I'm, my confidence interval is not great on that. Like he could do it. I don't think like, why would, I just don't know why he would. I think Tesla is this weird, like Elon loves tweeting. He loves being in that like public sphere. He loves that. And, and, and it's a great PR move to have a stock split. And like naming his daughter. Oh yeah. Like X. XAE12. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, cool. So Tyson, thanks so much for joining thoughts on beyond meat. It is to me, hold on. 
trading at 10 times forward sales, 100 times forward EBITDA, expected to grow 20 or sorry, 30 to 50% top line, coming off a low base. Uh, they're kind of inflecting on EBITDA. So let's go out four or five years. Five times 2024 sales and 38 times 2024 EBITDA. I don't like it. I'll tell you why. I don't like how expensive it is. I would rather buy FMCI, first of all. They're trading at a reasonable valuation under 20. Let's let's check out their latest. FMCI is tattooed chef, right? Because, okay, at 15 bucks, they're trading, if I remember correctly, they're trading at like three times forward sales versus Beyond Meat is trading at 10 times forward sales uh, with similar growth profiles. I would rather buy foreign merger 2 Corp, FMCI, which is um, Tattooed Chef, because you're kind of playing in a similar trend. I actually personally like the Frozen Isle vegan trend better than the Beyond Meat burger trend because... I bought some. I bought a four pack of delicious Beyond Meat burgers. They taste exactly like this veggie burger that that um, that I bought, and it was uh, Prager's Dr. Prager's backyard barbecue burger. And they don't really taste. They kind of taste like meat, but really they taste like sausage. Like Beyond Meat burgers don't really taste like beef to me. They taste like sausages, like the sausage patties. Like like a texture thing, you mean? Yeah, like they do kind of approximate meat, but it's not ground beef. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I think about it, it's like I think I would rather buy a frozen aisle cauliflower crusted pizza than a Beyond Meat burger. Also, I think you're in a industry that's highly substitutable. So if I'm in a frozen aisle... And there's a Beyond Meat burger, and then there's an Impossible burger, and then there's a cauliflower pizza. To me, it's like all the same. It's like I'm going to buy a soy-based product or whatever-based product, um, and the margins are going to be low. So if I'm going to if I'm going to be overpaying for a stock, it ain't going to be Beyond Meat. It's going to be because it's like everything. If you're successful in this world, you better watch the throne because people are coming at you. Um, that was deep. Like, I mean, in anything. No, I loved it. No, right? anything, I, felt right? it. I felt it deeply. If, if you're good at anything, the more hate and the more attacks you're going to have to defend against. And if Beyond Meat is successful, it's a really, like, I don't know, it's a really tenuous hill that frozen aisle food or distribution to restaurants, like, like food is a very thin margin, hard to defend throne versus when you're like Spotify and you own audio distribution for the world. That's a pretty nice throne to defend. So I just, yeah, the answer is no. I know I go on rants. And, and, and Nia actually doesn't eat a lot of beef, do you? No, I'm eating... Uh, fried pickles right now. She is no. one of those insane people that gets sofritos at Chipotle. I do every time. I get I get the sofritos. What if there was Beyond Meat, Chipotle beef? I would try it. You try it? Yeah. Over the sofritos? Yeah, I'd give it a try, and then, but like sofritos is my life. It's so good. 
So Frida's more like something nice. <laughs> you ready for this? Uh, yeah, let's do let's do voicemail. We have so many. I love it. Takes me back. Hey Justin, it's Anthony here. Two quick questions. One again on Nvidia. I've heard a couple of people say um, that chip makers will eventually turn into uh, more like a commodity, and it'll might be a race to the bottom in terms of who can sell it the cheapest. Uh, I guess that can be a bet on a further maybe glut of um, engineering students over the next decade. And he went out. Okay. I think. Uh, yeah, you got it went out. But thanks so much for the question. Um, back to Nvidia. Will chip makers be? Um, is it a race to the bottom? Are they commoditized? I mean, I think, will they be commoditized in the future? I think we've been saying that for over a decade. Um, GPU makers specifically, and specifically NVIDIA, I think what they have going for them is that chips, it is a commodity. It's a race to the, it's like incremental improvements. But, and NVIDIA has always been better than AMD. It's kind of been big brother, little brother, but generally like GPUs were really good at solving the uh, crypto mining thing. So they got that boom. Uh, GPUs and APUs and all these things are really good for kind of neural net types of processes as opposed to a CPU, which is dominated by Intel. Um, so I do I think it's a commodity? Kind of. It is, right? Because... An AMD GPU will be 85 to 90% as good as an NVIDIA one, price for price, at any given time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of proving out the point of like, it is a half commodity. Half of it is, uh, you need to be constantly on your game, iterating, iterating, iterating. You can even make this, I think, I think the closest thing for now sitting in this seat to me, what NVIDIA is like is probably where Samsung, LG, and all these like Android makers, like manufacturers have to be, right? It's kind of a closed ecosystem. It's like an oligarchy or an oligopoly, right? Where there's only like a few manufacturers that hold really good position, but they're all kind of jockeying. And then the next, I don't know, Samsung flagship phone has to have like slightly better camera, slightly thing, slightly better, right? It's like all hardware. And I kind of agree, but Luckily, NVIDIA, and the reason why they're trading up so much is because we know that there's going to be uh, quite the demand for these chips when we get into neural net machine learning world, which, you know, I think that's more of a slow burn than a, now we have Skynet. Um, that's probably one of the only things I really disagree with uh, Elon Musk on is like the, the timing of how quickly it comes. Um, there's also a philosopher in me that thinks that there's something about the human brain that can't be replicated by feeding an algorithm, um, patterns and learning from them. Um, but we won't get into that. It's a little deep for this show. Um, <laughs> we don't need to get into that, but like, I mean, my, my company uses machine learning, like we're a data science company. So, um, yeah, cool. Um, Let's see. Yeah, so I mean, all that to say, 
too overpriced for what it is. And I think you, you're right. Half of that business or more than half of the business is a commodity business, but it's kind of like a captive commodity. Like if you want to go to a true commodity, look at the silicon manufacturers like um, uh, Taiwanese Semiconductor Company, TMSC or something like that. Taiwan Semiconductor Stock. Uh, TSM, sorry, TSM. NYC. I love when That's you look it. at me as I'm gonna like bust out. I'm like, mm-hmm. um, TSMC ticker TSM. That's a true commodity. The silicon wafer makers. That's a real commodity. Um, cool. Uh, we have more. Let's do Hey, uh, I'm 16 and I've really gotten into stocks as of late. What are your thoughts on value stocks over technology stocks? And as well as your thoughts on a stock called OSTK or overstock.com for a long-term position. Thanks for the question. Thoughts on value stock uh, and as it relates to... Value stock over technology stocks. Value stock, okay. So I think I answered this like four or five weeks ago, we are in a world of zero interest rates, effectively zero interest rates. When you are in a low interest rate environment and the money printer go burr, we are all hunting for growth and for real returns. When bonds return low, when, when, when the real return is zero, and bonds have a risk spread above that. And REITs have a risk spread above that. And you're, what, is the, what is the yield? It's the dividend yield because REITs have to pass through over like 75% of their, their income. It's basically a bond. It's a type of sort of bond. Um, I mean, think about everything as just a yield on principle. It's all return on investment, right? Everyone's hung, hungry for growth and real returns. And when you're in a zero interest rate environment, uh, like tech, i.e. growth stocks, get bid up, which is the environment that we've seen. And my thesis is that we are in a low interest rate environment for a long, long time. Or for the foreseeable future, I'll let you know if that changes. And, I, and again, I'm not, no bullshit. I'll, I'll tell you, like, when I, when I, do my research and I change my opinion, I'll let you know because I do this every Thursday. And then I have Twitter now. I haven't tweeted in a while. Um, and on Roic and stuff. So I love value investing. Value investing has underperformed for over a decade because we've been in a zero interest rate environment for over a decade. Um, value investing was really good to get bottom for bottom fishing through 08, but then coming out in, during the recovery, it was a lot of growth. I think value has a, has a spot in your, um, in your portfolio, but it's gotta be cash flow based and you gotta think about it a little differently. And when I say value, I think value, honestly, for a weird reason these days, I think value investing is shorter term than growth investing in my, in, in the way that I do it. You all know that I like buying growth long-term capital compounding, uh, moat building, defensible growth and domination for decades at a reasonable price. That's what I like. On value, I think that 
you buy an undervalued stock with a catalyst, it's 30% undervalued, and this is the catalyst that'll get it to fair market value. And then once it hits fair market value, why are you holding that? Especially as a personal investor. Um, another thing I think like, yes, so we are in hungry for growth. We're seeing bubbles all over the place on growth, but I actually think you're seeing reasonable valuations on some and bubbles on others. So let's not chase the bubbles. Let's buy great companies at great prices. Overstock.com. I don't use overstock.com. They're growing at They're trading at 74 times forward EBITDA, 50 times forward two years EBITDA, 30 times forward three years EBITDA, 20 times forward four years EBITDA. And they're growing EBITDA. Well, they basically are break even right now. I don't love it. I don't love it. I don't love it. It's too expensive. So... You're buying at a higher valuation than Tesla or NVIDIA. And the story is the inflection around, oh, wait, they've actually eaten a poop this last year. Is it, it's a, This is a turn, tech turnaround story. And in my opinion, tech turnarounds don't do so, to, so hot. Uh, I can't speak. Sorry. Tech turnaround, no, do go so good. <laughs> It um, don't do well. No, because, sorry. I was talking to someone about the raffle. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the nature of, of tech is that the domination of network effects dominate thoroughly. It's not like Billabong versus Quicksilver. It's not like Nordstrom versus Macy's. This is everyone is on Facebook, not MySpace. This is... I don't believe value investing has much of a place in growth domination tech. And that's why I don't like eBay, even though the valuations look fine and, and overstock doesn't look great. And because at, at a certain point, you're right, like you're building a bilateral marketplace in which sellers and buyers come to, to sell and buy things. And you are the network in the middle. And so when you are the network with the most buyers and the most sellers, everyone comes to you even more. And when you're losing buyers and sellers and or sellers, you lose even more because the domination network effect just compounds. It's either a death spiral or a virtuous cycle. Um, and I mean, like, just, just look at the, the, the annals of tech time, like Yahoo. You know, even Marissa Mayer couldn't fix it. I have no opinions on her as a CEO. Um, you're either on the winning side or on the losing side of tech, and I want to be on the winning side. And I want to be on the winning side at a reasonable valuation and not chase bubbles. So I don't like OSTK. We should pick a raffle winner. Let's pick a raffle winner. Drum roll. Chris P. Chris P. Not crispy, but Chris. Crispy won P. the crispy $30, $30 prize. Gosh, was that, was that my first dad joke? That's your first dad. Oh, that was rough. <laughs> I made two already. Um, Pedro, your th thoughts on Microsoft? 
I did a Microsoft YouTube video. Guys, if you like my content and watch my live shows, try watching my normal YouTube videos. I spend a lot more time on those. They're they're hard to make. Graham's good. Graham Stephan's real good. He's really good. Do you want to do a voicemail? Yeah, let's do a voicemail. The guy who got cut off called back. Oh. He talks for a little while. Hey, Justin, it's Anthony here. Just left a voicemail before, but I realized it was connected to my Bluetooth. If you already heard it, you can delete this one, but if not, two quick questions on NVIDIA and then gold slash Bitcoin. Uh, NVIDIA, a lot of people or a few people have mentioned that uh, chip makers can eventually become, uh, the chip industry can be more like a commodity uh, and a race to the bottom on who can sell it at the cheapest, uh, based maybe on the fact that a lot of companies... Cool, so we talked about that. Manufacturing their own chips and vertically integrating, like Tesla. I'm assuming there's going to be a glut of engineering students that are going to flood the market over the next decade that can probably um, be hired by uh, companies like Tesla or Apple or whoever instead of just um, fill the, the chip manufacturer's needs. Secondly, on gold and Bitcoin, at today's prices, do you see it as uh, my question was, they don't have the same compounding effect like a company would in terms of generating earnings. Um, their value is more on its scarcity uh, and, a, and a hedge, I guess, against uh, currency and the common banking system as we know it. So at today's prices, would you actually still treat it as an asset class or more like uh, an insurance play? Thanks so much. Okay, so we already talked about chip makers. I don't like chip makers. I agree. Like in a lot of, there's the trend towards in-housing chip manufacturing, right? So I, I agree. That was a good point too. Um, Bitcoin, gold. I think I think of, so it's funny. I think of Bitcoin as a hybrid asset and it's almost like self-contradictory. Uh, it's scarce. So it has a hedging effect just like gold or long over decades like gold. It has growth because it has a story of growing as an asset class, whereas gold has been an asset class since before written history. And it's got like an innovation growth story too if, it, if it's used as monetary, as money, as a, as a kind of a medium of exchange, which I'm not even betting on. So whether it's 11,500 or it's 6,000, it is a long-term, multi-decade hedge. And the only time I'd think about selling it in the short term is if it had some crazy rally and the stock market ate a poop and you wanted to convert, you wanted to liquidate some and buy some really good stocks. Um, but again, if, if you don't like that mix and you don't like the high volatility of it, then I would just buy gold, right? Um, but then again, like real estate is a mix of a few things too. It is a dividend stock. It is a growth stock. It is, well, okay. It's a dividend stock. It is a, it provides growth through top line growth. If you're buying in the markets that I like, which I put in the rogue big board uh, or in Nashville is one of them clearly plus leverage. And it's a hedge against inflation. Because real estate is a hedge against inflation because it's scarce. They're not like we're not making any more square feet in the United States. Like uh, really, and I'm sure this, the science would argue with me. But 
Um, you know what I mean? Like the general gist of it is we're not making any more land. So that whole stack of Bitcoin as a hedge slash multi-generational thing is a belief that I have. And if you don't share that belief, I mean, I don't take offense. Like, I don't care. Um, but then maybe sub it for gold. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, sub it for gold. But th that's, why we, that's why we own some real estate and we own it at a reasonable price. But the problem with REITs, the public REITs, is they're not reasonably priced right now. They're priced off of a spread off of a zero interest rate environment. That's why I really like the private aspect of Fundrise. You know what's better than Fundrise? Is if you invested with me and I, you know, I manage the properties, but unfortunately I can't do that. Um, so Fundrise to me is like the second best thing. So that's all inflation. That's like that part of your portfolio that's like an inflation hedge. And then you keep cash for optionality purposes. But just know with M1, with MZM money supply increasing and like artificial printing, that portion of your, your dry powder or the cash that you hold, the US dollars you hold, is at risk. Uh, let's do another one. Cool. Sorry, I low key lost it for a second. I couldn't help it. Hey, Justin, just curious your thoughts on tech right now, specifically Apple, and if you think there's still room to grow, or will we see a big drop in tech? Also, I don't know if we've talked about this, but your thoughts on the split they're planning to do. Thanks. Cool, thanks. So the Tesla split, uh, I already talked about that in the front ha half of the show. You know how to go watch it. It's on YouTube. Um, and so this is Brian's question. I'm not sure if it's the same thing. Like he's asking about ARKK, which is ARK, and it's an innovation ETF. It's tech, it's growth. Is there a tech drop coming? I think that if we see weakness in consumer spending, or we see a breakdown in the financial system because of all of this artificiality or artificialness, whatever the word is, in what we're doing with the money printing, with the stimulus, all this stuff. Like there is a fundamental break in the economy that could happen. If that happens, I think you see an absolute tank of overpriced things. And you might see a tank of like Amazon. But what I'm telling you is... I like growth and tech, but not all tech is made the same, right? There is Amazon tech. There is Google tech that owns, Google is the front page of the internet, right? I actually like, but I like Amazon better than Google. Uh, I like Microsoft, cloud computing, B2B, like all that stuff. That stuff at a reasonable price is much more insulated than Tesla. Look, I don't care how many fanboys there are. Tesla is not going to meet on their growth targets and growth expectations if people can't afford to buy Teslas. Flat out. So if the fundamental economy breaks down or we see a lack of stimulus and or uh, like a stop of the stimulus and a contraction in consumer spending like oh, way overpriced things like Shopify, Tesla, whatever, Beyond Meat are going to tank. Like, and I don't characterize them tanking because they're tech because Beyond Meat is tech. Beyond Meat is a, 
frozen aisle burger and wholesale distribution food producer. I think you're going to see drops in valuations. And the whole point is I don't care if I buy at a reasonable price of a dominant business because no way in no way in hell is Amazon ever going to uh, trade at a four to five times forward EBITDA multiple if they like if if they are growing. I mean, like, right? I mean, they're reinvesting everything into growing and eating up the world. There's so the fundamentals will catch up to valuation eventually. But when you're trading at two hundred times forward EBITDA, right, it might take you fifty years to catch up. And that's why I say like Tesla at like seven and a half times forward EBITDA, I don't necessarily think the stock's gonna drop, guys and girls. I just think it's going to take a little bit for its growth to catch up. And if they miss on a couple quarters, you'll see some paint, short-term paint. But yeah, do I think they'll become the top four auto manufacturer in the country? In the U.S.? In the U.S.? Yeah, I think so. I know how good they're... Guys, you know I own a Model X. Like, I love their... That, that'll be my next car I buy. I believe in them. I will, I will give them my money as a consumer. And I will... I, you know, I own their stock... I've owned their stock and I just haven't sold because I am a fanboy. I am a fanboy. But I'm not buying in now. So separate this like sector mentality because kind of similarly to like, oh, I'm a Democrat. Oh, I'm a Republican. Oh, I'm a liberal. Oh, I'm a conservative. Oh, the world is black and white. The world isn't black and white. Things can't really be boxed into certain sectors or, or value versus growth. Like the world is a multi-axis spectrum and the future is a bunch of probability distributions. And so let's take it one by one, right? Let's take it one by one. Got more? Yeah. Also, what he's referring to in the beginning is he called and then he got cut off by his dad, so he recalled. So that's what he's talking about at the beginning. Tell your dad we say hi. You got this random starting. My dad walked in on me. I didn't know how to explain, and so I just stopped it. But my question was, how can I pick what's good to diversify? Because you know, as you say, uh, Microsoft is a staple to own, but Apple, I like Apple more in terms of growth and, and doing new things. And Facebook is innovating, and you know, you want the S and P five hundred some Johnson & Johnson to get in that consumer area, maybe a bank like J.P. Morgan, and how about waste management and Disney because, you know, everyone has waste, and Disney is a great, you know, long-time grower stock, and how can I pick, especially for my time horizon, 17? That's the hardest part that I've been really struggling with. There's so many promising stocks, but I'm having a really hard time just picking which one. Um, thank you. That is a really great question. Um, and it's kind of hinted by the previous previous question that we answered this, this session. Uh, how do you diversify? Um, it's not your job. You're not paid to diversify. It's a lot of work to diversify. Um, 
The way you should think about it is if you are the laziest investor, right? There are so many TikTokers, there are Graham Steffens in the world. And I think I'm kind of realizing this being on the internet. There are the Graham Steffens in the world that don't really know corporate finance, but they know great things about personal finance. And so it's kind of their job to get you here. It's their job to teach you compounding. It's their job to teach you to invest, to save, all that stuff. And I can teach you that stuff too because it's like, it's all finance. But at the end of the day, if you listen to Graham Stephan and then tune out of this show and you'll do great because the base level is go buy SPY and just keep buying SPY. Go buy QQQ and just keep buying QQQ. For those of you that don't know, QQQ is the NASDAQ uh, ETF. Uh, SPY is a very, very, it's the largest S&P 500 ETF. And so if you are the laziest investor ever and you just like, you're smart enough to know that you should be investing in corporate equities, come to the Rogue page, see my pie chart. And then I'm trying like, this is exactly like how many equities compared to cash and gold and, and real estate I'm, I target. But after that, all you got to do equities are equities you're already diversified. It's already there for you. Just buy some ETFs. And everything past that is how strongly you believe in certain companies relative to their valuation and relative to the overall U.S. economy. Because when you buy SPY, you buy a little bit of the 500 biggest companies in the country, in the U.S. economy. Or you can even buy the total global index with a Vanguard fund, right? Um, there's, I'm doing a little bit more reading about like international versus U.S. And it does seem like the U.S. stocks have grown past international stocks. But I mean, uh, we can talk about that later. But I would say just your base level is you're already diversified. It's not your job to diversify. It's your job as a personal investor to reduce the diversification and overweight yourself to the things that you think are gener- generationally transformational at a reasonable price, right? You're talking about finding the Googles, the Apples, the Facebooks, well, Google, the Apple, the like, the Amazons of the world, if you believe in them at a reasonable price. If you don't, your fallback shouldn't be cash. Your fallback should be S&P 500. So when you're thinking about Johnson & Johnson, I wouldn't buy Johnson and Johnson. They're so diversified already. I wouldn't buy a Johnson Johnson unless you you have some view on their vaccine or their like their a new product or some transformational thing. I wouldn't be buying like I don't know General Mills if they're still have they even they even have stock. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. General Mills GIS. And the reason why I didn't even know that they had stock is because it's like the most boring stock in the world. And they go up. I mean, they've been flat for, I mean, they, they reached their all time highs on a nominal basis pre in 2016. Um, yeah. So I just say, just remember your job isn't to diversify. Your job is to not diversify. You start diversified and your job is to overweight yourself to the things that you believe will Uh, compound over time faster than the U.S. economy as a whole. 
And I'm here to help. That's what I'm here for. I'm just here to help you. And we can talk about trends and Beyond Meat Burgers versus like vegan pizzas. Like, or is that going to transform? Or are chips going to transform more than software? Or you know, our cars or Apple Car or whatever, right? Like, like we're this is why we're here to talk about the corporations and the trends and the industries and the relative valuations. Um, but yeah, like if you feel paralyzed, just remember you have a great option buying the S&P 500 and just holding and just holding. Cool. Um, I thought I had one more point. Do we have another voicemail? Oh, we, we have, oh, we're coming to the end of the hour. We have one more. We are close to two minutes. And so if you want to take the last one, we guys, can. remember, if you want to enter the weekly hundred dollar raffle, uh, the keyword this week is EBITDA. I'm not very imaginative today. Um, and we're going to do one more voicemail and then we're going to pick our second winner for $30. The first winner was crispy, crispy, crispy. It's the only reason I remember that. Maybe I'll crack open a crispy boy after this. That's why I hear the kids, the Gen Z people, kids are calling, uh, Bud Lights or something. Why cause? What they have been looking at is I was looking at credit card stock and I looked at um, MasterCard and with what I looked at, I saw that it was better to me than uh, Visa. And then I looked deeper and saw that there's a Square Group, or not Square Inc. And um, that actually had better growth potential it looked like to me even if there's a little more risk what do you think if you're going to compare if it is true that mastercard is better than visa or paypal what do you think would be better for a long time horizon square inc or mastercard thank you love that question square or mastercard visa also in the mix so visa is trading at 24 times 40 but mastercard is trading at 20 Eight times forty, but that's interesting. Okay, but Mastercard seems to have higher growth. Visa is probably a better business. They're both a little too expensive. Hedge fund Henry really loves these because they're such great businesses. He's more of a Berkshire Hathaway. Hedge fund Henry is more of a Berkshire Hathaway um, Buffett uh, disciple than I am, and I am one. That's where I came from, right? Know your roots. But, and he basically said, I tried to get in on Visa, but it, was, it ran away from me. And then I got into some MasterCard. So if I'm looking at 2024, Visa's trading at 14 times 2024. And MasterCard is trading at, with higher growth, 18 times 2024, or sorry, 16 times 2024. So they seem to be relatively even in my eyes, just from a quick glance. I think Visa is a better, better defensible business. It's a better, better credit card and payment processing company. But MasterCard's like the number two, right? It's kind of like the NVIDIA AMD. And then Square is a growth story. Square is trading at, let's see, 100 times 40, but uh, and not growing, not expected to grow by that much more than MasterCard. I think, I don't know too much about Square. I know it's the second biggest holding of ARK. And, you know, Kathy Wood seems to be a very smart innovation investor. 
I'm not buying Square. It's just very expensive for the growth I see. It's growing. It's expected to grow at a lower clip over the next five years than some of the software companies like Peloton or Peloton's whatever, hardware, software, uh, but like Spotify, right? At a much higher valuation. So I'm just not buying Square. If, if I'm buying something, I'd probably buy a mix of MasterCard Visa because I know what they do. I don't want to do a lot of work. They're very complex businesses. Um, so that's what I would do over square and I'm preferring, right? So like I said, you're anchored in the S and P 500 and then your job is to find innovative capital compounding companies over the me mean of the S and P 500. And I don't really have that much confidence in squares ability to, I don't know. 100x itself or whatever 10x it's sorry not 100x 10x itself over a couple decades uh i just don't know i don't it's not that i don't have confidence they can do it i just don't know nor do i think i can ever get to the point where i can justify buying something at 12 13 times forward sorry seven times forward sales and 100 times forward ebitda i will say i probably would rather buy square than tesla at these prices I think Square is a better business than cars. Even if they turn cars into an autom autonomous taxi network, I don't necessarily, I think Square, a payment processor by network effects alone and all that other stuff is a much better end state business than cars. So I'd rather you buy Square than Tesla, but I'd probably rather allocate money to MasterCard, Visa over Square. But like I almost... I think MasterCard and Visa are like its own thing. And you should compare that more against the S&P 500 because they are, they are like indicative of the American economy or like payments across the economy. And Square should be thrown in there. I know this is kind of weird, right? I'm splitting out the sector. Square should be thrown in that ARK Invest group, like next to Progeny, next to uh, Tesla, because the valuations, what you need to believe is insane growth and domination. Um, to justify these multiples. So hope that hopefully that helped. Cool. We are picking our last $30 winner and welcome back and hope this was a good stream. And thank you so much for being here. And again, thank you so much for the support. If you're a Roic member, go check out the Roic Big Board. I know it's not super pretty right now, but I'm trying my best. And um, cool. All right. We had Chris P and now we have Anthony F from Canada. Our second we have favorite like two country. Can Canadian winners. We have a lot of Canadian. Constant. I think we have we've had somebody from Canada win almost every week. Yeah. Does that mean that half of you all are from Canada? Do we should we just move to Canada? Yeah. Where should I move? In? Uh, probably like Montreal. Yeah, for sure. Like the French. No, I'm just kidding. I'm into it. I'm gonna I'm gonna ostracize myself from I'm sure the the British side of, <laughs> yeah, right. of Canada. Um, uh, but I love you all. Like Canada's awesome. Um. So we have Chris P that won thirty dollars. Mm -hmm. Anthony F. Anthony F won thirty dollars, and uh, the last week's Calvin C from Canada won last week's hundred dollar raffle. So this week forwards raffle, the 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 keyword is EBITDA. Enter over the next week. Thank you so much. Um, 
I'll get to your DM soon on Roic. Uh, on the 17th, we're picking out that $1,500 stock pitch winner. If you guys are part of Roic, please go vote for like your favorite because I definitely want the person to, that wins 1500 bucks from us to like actually have the Roic favorite. Um, I saw, right. It's not like, I don't have the Reddit technology. So I saw that like it favored a lot of like early posts because people came on early and then kind of like ignored it. But we've had a few really good posts since then. Um, I believe someone pitched Lulu. Uh, if you're still on love that. So, um, please go vote and read the stock pitches and the internship program. They're awesome. Uh, they're going to be providing pitches on Rook pretty soon here. So thank you so much. Have a great night. I will see you next Thursday and hopefully get a, night, a video or two out over the next week. So stay tuned for that. And, you know, you know where to find me. Updates are usually from through Instagram. And uh, stay safe. Happy investing. Bye, guys. Bye.